This is Jeff Young, the Catholic Foodie at CatholicFoodie.com, and you're listening to a special episode of the Catholic Foodie, Faith and Family Live. Welcome, folks, to the Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. I'm your host, Jeff Young, and today we're talking faith and family. I'm very fortunate to be a guest blogger this week over at faithandfamilylive.com, and I want to thank Danielle Bean and her crew at Faith and Family for the invitation. On this special episode, which I'm producing on the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross, we will reflect on the readings from today's Mass. I'm also going to give you an introduction to the Catholic Foodie and what that's all about, and I've got a recipe for you too, a recipe for West African peanut soup. Sarah Reinhardt joins us with Mary on the Kitchen. All this and more of the Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. That's right, folks. We've got a busy show today, but you know it's going to be a condensed show. This is being produced especially for the listeners and readers of Faith and Family Live. Uh, you know, I'm very excited. Danielle Bean uh, contacted me last week, asked, Hey, uh, Jeff, would you like to be a guest blogger over at Faith and Family Live? She says, Hey, you can even do a special uh, episode of the Catholic Foodie Podcast. I said, Are you kidding? Are you just, oh, come on. Of course, of course I would love to do that. I have, I have been a big fan of Danielle Bean and Faith and Family Live, all the great work going on over there, the podcast and the blog, for a long time. Matter of fact, I remember when the podcast first came out. And, uh, boy, I subscribed to it right away. You know, I, I know Lisa Hendy, and so that was kind of like my connection, my end there with Faith and Family Live in the beginning. That's how I, that's how I learned about Faith and the the new podcast, Faith and Family Live. Uh, and and you know I have been a uh, a listener from the very beginning. Uh, matter of fact, I have actually been on the show before, and uh, also I've left some voice feedback for them. <laughs> you know, back in the day when uh, uh, when they were just starting. So anyway, uh, very excited to be here, and I, I just want to share with you, because some of you may not know, you might not know who or what this Catholic foodie thing is all about. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Uh, Sarah Reinhardt, you might recognize that name. She is she has a blog, of course. She's got a blog over there at Just Another Day of Catholic Pondering at SnoringScholar.com. She has also appeared over here at Faith and Family Live uh, quite a bit. So Sarah is probably not unknown to you. She produces a segment here for the Catholic Foodie. It's called Mary in the Kitchen, and she will join us today with a special edition of Mary in the Kitchen just for you. And uh, she's going to share her own struggles with cooking, and she's going to encourage you to turn to Mary in the Kitchen. Now, on the Catholic Foodie, we normally start with a prayer. This is a prayer that I uh, write out, and it's, it's kind of based on my history, my experience uh, with both food and faith, and I, I write, it's like a before meals prayer, and I offer it to my listeners simply as a, you know, a suggested prayer to pray before meals, or alternatively, it could just be inspirational to kind of spur you on uh, with your own before meals prayer. So let's start with our prayer today. Jesus, you suffered and died for us. You willingly embraced your cross for love of us, to save us and set us free. You transformed the cross from a symbol of death to one of life. Help us, Lord Jesus, to see the crosses in our lives as gifts from your hand. 
gifts that will prepare us for eternal life. Grant us your blessing and bless this food, also a gift from you. May it sustain our bodies and lift our hearts and remind us of the divine food you give us in the Eucharist, your very self. Amen. A very special thank you uh, to the creators of the Divine Office iPhone and iPad app who are sponsoring the show today. Uh, You can visit them over at divine-office.com and tell them I sent you. Um, If you have an iPhone or an iPad and you want to grow in prayer, I highly recommend this app. You need to go check it out, divine-office.com. And if you want to learn more about why I love this app and why I use it, and how it's helped me to grow in prayer, uh, just visit my page over at catholicfoodie.com slash divine office. I'd like the chef salad, please, with the oil and vinegar on the side and the apple pie a la mode. Chef and apple a la mode. But I'd like the pie heated, and I don't want the ice cream on top. I want it on the side, and I'd like strawberry instead of vanilla if you have it. If not, then no ice cream, just whipped cream, but only if it's real. If it's out of the can, then nothing. Not even the pie? No, just the pie, but then not heated. Uh-huh. I'll have what she's having. Well, today is the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross, and I've got a reflection for you, kind of as an appetizer, kind of warm us up uh, today. And, uh, you know, Exaltation of the Cross, you think about that. What in the world is that? Why would someone exalt the cross? Uh, you know, in the world we live in today, which is really post-Christian, uh, that, that's a good question. You know, I think a lot of people would, would wonder that. Why exalt the cross? What's the big deal with the cross? I think even Christians, even Catholics, even us, maybe even me and you, we don't really grasp the impact, the power of the cross of Christ. I think it gets lost on us in our, in our modern mentality. We, we, we kind of get used to it. You know, you see crosses everywhere in the, in the cemeteries. People wear them around their necks. You see them in church. Uh, you, you, you see them, uh, you have a little ring that you can get that's, that's kind of like in the shape of a cross. Uh, we, we see crosses all over the place, and I think we get used to it. We kind of get numb to the reality of it. Uh, but the cross, originally, the cross was an instrument of death. It was a means of capital punishment. It was used to put criminals to death in a, in a, in a horrendous way. So to, to, to think about that, that's where it comes from, and to think, hey, wait, we're like, you know, wearing crosses around our necks? Are you kidding? Man, Father Augustine, who's a Benedictine monk, he's out here at St. Joseph Abbey right down the road from us. He was the celebrant this morning at Mass, and in his homily he said, you know, it's kind of like if I were to give my family uh, like my mom or my sister, a, a necklace for her birthday or for Christmas or whatever, and on it was dangling a pendant of an electric chair <laughs> or a hypodermic needle. I mean, that's kind of weird. It's, it's kind of, it doesn't make sense, right? It just does not make sense. Well, originally, that's kind of how the cross would be. It just doesn't make sense. Why the cross? But the magical thing about this, which really isn't magical, it's, it's divine. It, it's God's work. God took what was most atrocious, what was so awful, so horrendous, something of death, an instrument of death, and he changed it into an instrument of life. The cross 
really does become, because of Jesus, because of his willing sacrifice of his life, because he embraced the cross, the cross really does become the tree of life. You remember in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? They wanted to make themselves like God. And what does God do? He comes, meets with them in the garden, tries to find them. They, they were hiding out of shame. He finally get, he get, he finds them. They come to him, and, 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 uh, and he says, you know, what, what's going on? What's wrong? You know, so you have eaten of the tree that I told you not to eat from. And, uh, of course, he banished them from the Garden of Eden. And if you remember, he placed two cherubim. I believe it was cherubim. Now that I think about it, I don't remember. But two angels to guard the gates of Eden so that they could not reach out. I think it says the wording is like they reach out their hand and take the fruit of the tree of life, that they would taste, eat of the tree of life, and then live forever and be like, you know, basically be like God, right? Not to, they wouldn't, they wouldn't, God knew in their fallen state, Adam and Eve, separated from him, that for them to eat of the fruit of the tree of life would be uh, uh, irreparable, irreparable. And of course, in Genesis 3, we see a hint there of the promise of God to repair the damage, of God to, uh, 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 to restore Adam and Eve, the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, to back into to relationship with himself. And we see that throughout the Old Testament. I, it's too much to get into today, but I wanted to remind you about the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. Some of the early church fathers referred to the cross. These are the very, very early years after the church was founded, after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. Early church fathers, first 300 years of the church, often referred to the cross as the tree of life. They, they referred to it as a tree and as the tree of life. So it, it once again, you see what happens. God restores us to himself in Jesus in his sacrifice, in his death on the cross, and from that, we are redeemed. We are brought back into relationship with God. And because of that, Jesus really has, in his death, willingly accepting, embracing the cross. He has transformed that cross into the tree of life. And what is the fruit of the tree of life? It's Christ's sacrifice. That's where we're justified. That's where we are redeemed. That's where eternal life comes from. And of course, as Catholics, we understand that there's something more to it than just the cross. The sacrifice of Christ on the cross didn't just happen. Well, I, let me let me put that. Let me rephrase that. It happened once and for all on Calvary. But it's not over. I guess that's the way I could say it. It is not over. His sacrifice is not over. It is reenacted or remembered. Um, I think there's a word for it, a memorial. Uh, oh, here it is. This is the word. Represented at every Mass, every Eucharistic sacrifice. It's represented. What does that mean? Does that mean that Jesus is sacrificed all over again? No. He was, he, his one and only sacrifice was, was, was full and complete. It was on Calvary. But what the Eucharist does, what the, what the Mass does, is it represents the sacrifice. So it makes, it makes us present, or I should say, it makes the sacrifice present to us now. So as I've heard some priests in the past say, it's as if we are standing around Calvary during the sacrifice of the Mass. 
It's like we're there at the cross. Uh, of course, we have to have spiritual eyes to see that. We have to have eyes of faith to see that. But that's really what's happening. So uh, that's just a reflection today, the exaltation of the cross. The readings from the Mass today, oh, oh my goodness. You know, you look back to in Numbers, the book of Numbers, and you see Moses, God telling Moses to fashion that uh, to fashion that serpent, that bronze serpent, and raise it on a pole. I, I get excited, folks, when I start talking about this, because if you look in the Old Testament, you see so many prefigurations of the the sacrifice of Jesus. You see so many prefigurations of the cross and of the Eucharist. It's unbelievable. And of course, you've got tons of symbolism involving food and meals and covenants and all this awesome stuff. I just get excited about this, which, by the way, is why I'm launching a new project still in the works. I haven't actually launched it yet, but I'm on my way there, uh, a new uh, cookbook. It's going to be a Catholic foodie cookbook, but it's not your, you know, what you would think, I guess, is a traditional cookbook. This is going to be a cookbook that that traverses salvation history. We're going to travel salvation history and look at the role food has played throughout salvation history. We're going to jump into the Old Testament and see how all this, uh, all, all, you know, how food really has prefigured uh, the sacrifice of Jesus and also uh, just, you're going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> Too much to get into right now. You're going to love it. I got more stuff coming at you soon. You're going to find that over at catholicfoodie.com. Uh, the website, by the way, for the cookbook project is not launched yet, but that website will be cookbook.catholicfoodie.com. So uh, keep that in mind. You may want to check back from time to time. But you see this prefiguration in numbers of the serpent on the on the pole, right? The seraph, or not seraph, the bronze serpent, because the people were being bitten by seraph serpents interesting uh, thing happens right before uh, Moses is told to, uh, to, to, uh, to, to fashion this bronze serpent and put on a pole. Let me get my Bible, and I'll read to you what happens right before that. All right, this was uh, Numbers, Book of Numbers, chapter 21, verses 4 through 9, and uh, check this out. Uh, they're, they're, um, let's see, let's see, let's see, where does it start? The people complained against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up from Egypt to die in this desert where there is no food or water? So no, notice what they're doing here where there's no food or water. You know, food plays a part in that, huh? They're complaining to God because of food. And what's the next thing? The very next uh, sentence. We are disgusted with this wretched food. And what are they talking about? We're disgusted with this wretched food. Manna. They're talking about the manna, and manna was God's gift to them. Miraculous food come down from heaven, right? The, referred to as bread from heaven uh, that came to them by the hand of Moses because Moses is the one that interceded uh, on the behalf of the people with God. And Jesus refers back to that uh, in, in the reading uh, from John chapter 6 where he, he says, I am the living bread come down from heaven. You know, Moses gave you manna in the desert, but I'm the true bread come down from heaven. So manna, once again, a, uh, a prefigurement of the Eucharist. And here the people are, they're complaining against God and against Moses. They're saying, we hate this wretched food. How terrible. How terrible. If you weren't able to make it to Mass today, I would really encourage you to go and to, uh, to check out the readings and go ahead and read those readings from Mass today. 
you talk about uh, powerful. You know, the gospel is from uh, the gospel of John, chapter 3, where, you know, it includes the verse that we all know, John three sixteen, right? For God sent his only son, right? So go check that out. It's really, really good stuff. And uh, that's food for the soul, folks, food for the soul. We need that. That's the word of God. Uh, what does Jesus say? Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that's what you have right there in that Bible that you're holding in your holding in your hands, <laughs> right? Holding in your hands. Uh, yes, that's the word of God. That's, um, that is the food that God uh, feeds us, along with the Eucharist. So good stuff. I hope this has been somewhat encouraging for you, maybe a little eye-opening for you. Uh, but that's one of the things we do here at the Catholic Foodie. We do talk a little bit about faith, and uh, it's where food meets faith. And, and the whole goal there is to encourage you in your faith and to inspire you in your faith. True love, you heard him? You could not ask for a more noble cause than that. Sorry. True love is the greatest thing in the world. Except for nice MLT, mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwich when the mutton is nice and lean and the tomatoes ripe. It's so perky. I love that. Well, it is almost fall time. Can you believe it? Actually, I think we are technically in fall. Am I right? Is that right? You tell me. It is uh, September 14th. I I don't know. (laughs) Well, you know why? I have a good excuse. I live down here in uh, South Louisiana, and, you know, we don't really have many seasons. I think, you know, if you live up north, you, uh, I think you have four seasons, right? Is it four? I can't remember. We have two down here. Only two, hot and cold, uh, or hot and cool. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in December, oftentimes, I'm still walking around in shorts. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's obnoxious. Up north, you know, I lived in Ohio for a while. The trees turning colors. Oh, man, you're talking about beautiful. And just uh, to feel that, that the earth kind of slowing down is the way it felt to me. You know, that life kind of slows down in the fall. Uh, it, it, it's just, um, it's a beautiful thing, and it, it shows... I think, a side of God that uh, you don't get down here in the South. It's just my humble opinion, though. Uh, but we don't have those seasons. That's why I find it hard to remember when fall starts, technically. All I can think of is October and pumpkins and uh, Halloween. Uh, but we'll talk about that next month. Uh, anyway, fall time, right? Fall time is getting cooler in some places. And, uh, you know, in the fall, one of the things that I like to do, I like to, uh, to make soups. Soups are really good. They're good for you. It's a great way to eat uh, vegetables and to eat things that perhaps you would not normally eat, uh, uh, just cooked by themselves. You know, they're, they're, I would not often opt to eat carrots by themselves. Um, I would not really opt to eat green beans by themselves. I just, you know, they just don't do a whole lot for me. But in a soup, oh, I love them. They're great. So I love soups. Soups are great. Uh, and what I want to do today is share with you a recipe that was given to my wife and I, or technically that would be to my wife and me. Uh, you know, some people like Sarah Reinhardt, they're uh, you know, grammar fanatics. So uh, anyway, we received this recipe for West African peanut soup. Doesn't that sound good? West African peanut soup. And let me tell you uh, what's, in, what's in here. You have uh, chopped onions, two cups 
of chopped onions, a tablespoon of olive oil, a uh, one-eighth teaspoon of cayenne pepper, one serrano chili, uh, seeded and minced, uh, one tablespoon fresh ginger root, peeled and grated, one cup of carrots, peeled and chopped, two uh, cups of sweet potatoes, peeled and chopped, two cups of vegetable stock, two cups of chicken stock, plus more if you need to thin out the soup later, two cups of canned whole peeled tomatoes, one cup of peanut butter, chunky, and uh, use homemade is what she recommends. Use homemade peanut butter or store-bought brand made only from peanuts and salt, nothing else. That's good. You know, all, all natural. That's a good thing. If you listen to last episode of The Catholic Foodie, episode 87, I, uh, I talked about my health kick, my new health kick, which I think my wife's prayers is really what uh, what launched that. Uh, talked about that health kick and also about natural foods. And you may want to listen to that. I did a, a bit of ranting, though. So uh, it, it's kind of fiery. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, you know, you can go to some stores uh, that are that are health stores or healthier stores that have a lot of natural foods there. And they'll have a uh, kind of a grinder that grinds the peanuts and makes it into peanut butter right there for you. So you know you're getting the, the, the good stuff. Uh, one tea, uh, tablespoon of sugar, which is optional. Salt to taste, one cup of scallions or green onions, uh, chopped peanuts, which that was fun. I, I chopped those things up. <laughs> it's fun to chop peanuts. Uh, they kind of go everywhere, but it, it's fun. And uh, hot sauce, which is optional, except, you know, if you live in my house, it's not optional. All right, here are the directions and uh, really a simple, simple recipe uh, to put together. And, you know, you play with this. And if you listen to The Catholic Foodie, you hear me talk all the time about recipes and recipe is not a roadmap it is not um you know detailed instructions no one is going to come behind you and say "Ooh, you missed this oh you didn't do that yeah it's wrong it's the wrong recipe no recipe is more like uh guidelines as <laughs> as uh they refer to uh, the pirate's code over in uh, what is that called uh, the pirates of the caribbean right it's more like guidelines they say so uh, a recipe is like that. Yeah, just kind of play with it, you know. Do what you like. Do it. It's fun. Do it makes, uh, what makes sense to you. But here are the directions that she gave to us. Saute the onions in the oil uh, until they're translucent. Stir in the cayenne and fresh ginger. Add the carrots and saute a couple of more minutes. Mix in the potatoes and stock and bring the soup to a boil. Then you simmer for about 15 minutes until the veggies are tender then in a blender or a food processor, you puree the vegetables with the cooking liquid and the tomatoes. You puree it all. Return it to the soup pot. You stir in the peanut butter until smooth. Taste the soup. Its sweetness will depend on the sweetness of the carrots and the potatoes, or sweet potatoes. Uh, if it's not there naturally, just add a little sugar. I mean, in my own case, we'd probably add honey to enhance the other flavors and then add salt to taste. You reheat the soup gently because at this point, I'm telling you, as a puree, it, you can burn the soup, all right? That, that can definitely happen. You want to be careful. Do it gently. Don't turn up too high. Reheat the soup. Uh, and then you can even use a heat diffuser, if you like, a little plate that goes on top of your um, uh, burner, which uh, it kind of diffuses the heat so it, that it, 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 it reaches the pot evenly so you don't have... Uh, hot spots that uh, with the potential of, of scorching the soup in certain areas of the pot. 
So heat diffuser uh, is, a, is a good thing. Also, you can add more water, stock, or tomato juice for a thinner soup if you like. Once again, do what sounds good to you. And uh, serve it with plenty of chopped green onions right there on top. I love green onions. I could eat green onions by themselves. Oh, that's so good. But lots of green onions on top. Uh, chopped peanuts, just yeah, kind of like a garnish there. A little chopped peanuts on top and perhaps even the hot sauce if you like it, which in our house we absolutely do. Preferred brand. Actually, we have a couple of preferred brands. Crystal hot sauce and Tabasco. So that is the recipe for uh, for today. And if you prepare this, please let me know. Go over to uh, catholicfoodie.com slash faith and family. Hi, I'm Judy. And I'm Ray. And this is Mary in the Kitchen with Sarah Reinhardt. <laughs> hey, y'all. Welcome to the kitchen. Uh, have to apologize for all that laundry you see scattered around. I've been working on a big project, and it hasn't exactly corresponded to my laundry getting done, as in folded and put away. I know that's not really a good excuse, but I also know that we're among friends here, so you're here because you want to be here, right? Hey, can I offer you some applesauce? I just made some. It's just hot off the stove. Because as a highly pregnant woman and a big fan of Ohio apples, I am not only craving apples in a huge way, I am making applesauce at a rate that is leaving my family shaking their head and eating it as fast as I can make it. What's amazing about this is that I'm not usually worth much in the kitchen. There's an irony to this link I have with Jeff Young, the Catholic foodie extraordinaire, because I have seen him cook along with his lovely wife, and they are not only a force in the kitchen, they make cuisine that could outfit a restaurant very nicely. I've been trying to scam them into moving next door to me and cooking for me for, well, as long as I've known them. Unfortunately, it hasn't worked yet. I started learning to actually cook a few years ago at the encouragement of a cooking whiz friend. I had been married a couple of years, had my first child, and realized that, living out in the country as we do, my fondness for eating was going to have to give way somehow in preparing foods other than mac and cheese and meatloaf. For me, it all comes down to the same struggle, getting over my own initial non-preference for the act of cooking. Though my kitchen is where I spend a good portion of my at-home time, between dishes, laundry, and meals, the fact remains that I just don't really like to do the very thing that the kitchen is designed to support, unless you want to count eating. That's where Mary comes into my kitchen. She greets me every morning when I sit down with my coffee and struggle through my morning devotions. She's there when I'm up to my elbows in hot soapy water, looking out of the window and admiring the fields around us. She's never far when I'm juggling loads of laundry. Mary knows what life in the kitchen is like. Back in her day, the kitchen probably meant a lot more work and a lot less convenience. Mary probably didn't love cooking and baking and cleaning and all the rest of it at every single moment. 
any more than anyone does. It was probably as much a chore for her as it is for me. And there is my lesson, my model, my inspiration. Mary didn't just plow through all of that grudgingly. She offered herself and gave the gift of her hospitality, the very heart of her home, as an act of love. This week, when you find yourself trudging through your kitchen, stop a moment and say a Hail Mary for the grace to give your all to the people you'll be spending time with as a result of that kitchen. Those people are a gift to you from God. Ask Mary to help you serve them with a smile and lots of love. Sarah, you rock. <laughs> That's all I could say. Uh, wow. First of all, you, you, uh, I'm not really that good. <laughs> you make me sound like I'm good. I'm not. Uh, but thank you so much for that. And, you know, apples, you talk about that. I'm jealous. I'm so jealous. You know, I went to school. I went to college up at uh, Franciscan University of Steubenville, at least for a few years before going into the seminary. And uh, I remember those days. I remember the apples. I I loved it. It was great. It was like heaven for me uh, to be able to eat pretty much as, as many apples as I, I wanted. And, of course, the applesauce and the cider. Oh, my goodness, the cider was so, so good. And I miss that. We don't have that down here. I mean, we have apples, of course, and applesauce in a jar. And uh, we have, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, apple cider of some sort. But it's just not like the good stuff we got up there. So I don't know, you might, uh, you know, use an apple kind of like the, the, well, the serpent did with Adam and Eve. You could maybe use apples to tempt us to come move up there to Ohio. I don't know if it'll work, though. Hopefully we're, you know, following God's will and where he wants us to live. But anyway, thank you so much, Sarah. You know, uh, Sarah comes on every week with a special segment called Mary in the Kitchen. And uh, it is just, uh, it's been an absolute joy uh, working with Sarah, having her come on every week. I mean, the, the reflections that she gives, uh, the message that she brings to the Catholic foodie is, um, it is so, it's deep, and it's practical, and it's real, and it kind of pulls back the curtain between us and heaven. Uh, it really does. It makes you uh, feel like you are, can become friends, and you are friends with, with you know, angels and saints, and, uh, and especially, especially our mother, Mary. So thank you very much, Sarah. And you can you can visit Sarah over at her blog at snoringscholar.com. Also want to give a special thanks to the band L'Angelus for allowing us to use their Ave Maria on the show. You can find L'Angelus at cajunrecords.com. Here's a way you can be creative on a daily basis. Well, how else in your life can you actually create new things every day? And you have to eat. This mm-hmm. is the thing we all agree on. If you're going to eat three times a day, to the day that you die, why not be good at it? Well, here we are at the end of the show. I promised you a condensed version of the show, uh, especially for Faith and Family Live. And I hope that I certainly hope that you have enjoyed spending some time with us over here where food meets faith. Uh, just a couple of things I want to remind you of before we close out. First of all, do you have something to say to the Catholic foodie? You want to 
share an idea, give me a recipe, um, just, just I don't know, voice your thoughts about some of the things we talked about today, Exaltation of the Cross, uh, any of the previous episodes you may have listened to, anything that you want to say to the Catholic Foodie, you can always give me a call at 985-635-4974, 985-635-4974. I would be happy to play your voice message here on the show. Also, you can reach me via email at jeff at catholicfoodie.com. Uh, some good news, we have a newsletter, a new newsletter, Catholic Foodie newsletter, being launched this month. Uh, we're about eight days away from the official launch date of the first issue, and the first issue, by the way, is going to be about the 20th. It may be a day before, maybe a day after, I don't know, but it's, you know, the 20th is the goal, so about eight days away. Um, Catholic Foodie Newsletter, but you have to sign up. You have to subscribe to it. You have to sign up for it. And to do that, just go to catholicfoodie.com slash newsletter. And you really want to do this, folks, because I have got some dynamic people who are contributing to this newsletter, and they're going to be giving you incredible content, lots of great stories, recipes, good hints, practical hints, tips for the kitchen, lots of really good, encouraging stuff for you to, uh, to encourage you, inspire you, to help you grow in your faith, and maybe to give you a little more you know, inspiration and confidence in the kitchen as well. So please do go over to catholicfoodie.com slash newsletter and sign up. Also, don't forget, you can visit me this week at Faith and Family Live. I've got more goodies to share with you. And finally, do you have a recipe that you would like to share with me? Then you can go to uh, catholicfoodie.com slash add recipe, and you can just uh, type it in. Just put it in. i got a form right there for you. You just fill that out, submit it to me, and uh, what I do is just make sure it's formatted correctly, and then I, uh, I load that up there onto the site with your name attached as the contributor of that recipe, and then you have to your very own your very own uh, recipe there on the Catholic Foodie, so that's pretty cool. catholicfoodie.com slash add recipe. And uh, that's about it. I hope you enjoyed your time here with me. And until next time, bon appétit. SQPN, leading the way in Catholic New Media.